You can swear if you want to. Okay, sure. <laughs> Hopefully not at me too right. much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I won't sing any trademarked songs. Um, I think you can get away with that. Okay. As long as, as, long on... as it's fair usage. Yeah, if you take your phone and play a trademark song and put it onto the mic. Then oh, really? Then I think we might but get But if I do my own cover? <laughs> yeah. Please do, yeah. Sure. Do you have something oh, in yeah. mind? Yeah, yeah. I'll... It'll be a surprise. This is Van Collar. We're at the West Coast. My name is Mo Amir, and today on This is Van Color, I am joined by a political activist, comedian, playwright, voice actor, podcaster, and author of several books, nonfiction and fiction alike, including his newest novel, Property Values which was released earlier this year to critical acclaim. I read it in one sitting on a plane, and it's fantastic. His very first essay collection entitled Vancouver Special was nominated for a Hubert Evans Nonfiction Prize. He often appears on the CBC's The Debaters. He voices Walter on the Netflix original series Beat Bugs, which is a children's TV show that interweaves songs by the Beatles into their episodes often performed by recording artists such as Pink and Sia. He's even voiced a character on My Little Pony. I can go on and on about this guy. He's appeared multiple times on Just for Laughs. He's opened up for Mark Marin. He does all of this while being a dad, as his Juno-nominated comedy album was aptly titled Fatherland. A true Renaissance man, Charlie Demers. Charlie... How are you? I, I'm better after listening to that introduction. It's very kind. And I always find that if you if you can distill someone, like if you just do in a, a, hi- if a, in a highlight reel, everybody sounds pretty good. <laughs> and there well, was no, like sometimes he, uh, he eats his feelings. Like it was all the good, it was all good things. So thank you. I think you're right, but I think you have more, more than a lot of people just a blistering resume like have you just monetized all your hobbies what's what's happening here? <laughs> the thing is if you monetize like enough things at a low enough level this is the kind of <laughs> so if you cash in uh i mean I, like the the renaissance man is the very kind word for it it's in my better moments it's what i hope is happening the 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 flip side of it is um dilettante and you do worry dilettante yeah that you're maybe, uh, well, it's okay for me to say it. I don't know if you, know if you should agree that uh, energetically. But I, uh, yeah, that feeling of like, am I doing anything? Am I doing it right? Am I do like, uh, so you don't want to feel, because I don't want to feel like a dabbler when I get to the um, uh, the end of my life. But I, I also, I do think that it is, to a certain extent, it's how I'm wired. I, I like doing a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. I um to me it's kind of like an archipelago that if if you drain the water away all these things are connected like i don't view them as being entirely of um uh different pieces that's a great way to put it uh well thank you i um and by the way i i, I wasn't agreeing with the idea that you're a i'm dilettante. totally kidding i was a, <laughs> i was if anything hmm. impressed by by your extensive vocabulary <laughs> right no this is one of my favorite things to do is um uh to uh reach out for um for emotional support and then and then You've offer the right nothing guy. but consternation to the people who give it to me it's the conversational equivalent of when somebody 
uh, texts you something really touching and meaningful, and so you write back, new phone, who dis? <laughs> Which I also can almost never resist doing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I did not in any way take that you were uh, implying my dilettantism. I, I was just projecting my own... Uh, Self insecurity. Sure. Well, uh, you shouldn't. I, I think it is an impressive resume, and I'm really happy to have you here. Um, I have to say, I feel like this interview was written in the stars in a lot of ways because more than any other guest that I've had on this show, you are connected to so many This Is Van Color alumni. So, can I just run down the list of a few connections that you have? Absolutely. Here? Yeah. So, Ivan Decker, mm -hmm. who introduces you on your comedy album, was episode number five. Now city councilor Christine Boyle, who you campaigned for earlier this yeah. year, you're in a one city music video singing, in fact. She was episode 11. Derek O'Keefe, who you founded the Well Reds, a left book podcast with, he was episode 15. And my local celebrity crush, Katie Ellen Humphreys, oh, who yeah. you recently debated on CBC's The Debaters with a cameo from John Horgan, was episode 20. So... Those are four of the coolest people that I've had on the show thus far. So I'm really wondering, like, is Vancouver that small or are you so cool <laughs> that now by association, I'm cool? Yeah. Because spoiler alert, I've never been cool. <laughs> well, you got, I mean, that's a, that's a good, uh, first of all, it's a, a, it's a great local celebrity crush yeah. to have. Yeah. Uh, and I think you can tell a lot about a person by their taste. Uh, you know, I, I think it's a combination, it's a combination of Vancouver's size and my sort of, uh, very varied and ecumenical interests. And also just the fact that I've never lived any place but here. Right. And you have a lot of roots here. Yeah. Well, I, and, and I have roots more or less only here. I mean, right. I've always had like, <laughs> I, I've had a strong connection to, um, Montreal because of my dad and my dad's side of the family, but uh, and my dad has lived in Halifax since 2003, and so it's 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 now one of the cities of my family. You know, I think mm -hmm. of it as a uh, and and Toronto is a city that I love, and my wife is from there, and and we spend a lot of time there, and I and I enjoy it. Um, but I've never lived any place but here, and on my mom's side of the family, we go back. Uh, almost a hundred years. My like my daughter's a fifth generation Vancouverite. Wow, you yeah. never hear that. Never, yeah. right? And uh, so, um, it, it's to a certain extent. I mean, I've had this conversation with Kara, my wife, because you know, we'll she, we've just never been out and run into somebody that she went to junior high with or went to, you know, like because. Right. Yeah. Uh, all of those experiences for her are thousands of kilometers yeah. away. Um, and so, uh, you know, Derek is somebody who I, I first met when I was probably in my teens. Hmm. Uh, Christine, somebody I've known for, uh, I don't know how long, um, but, it, but it's been a while. I mean, Ivan and Katie Allen just um, through the comedy scene in Vancouver. So I think part of it is like I've always had these, the, these big – quadrants in my life i'm gonna say quadrants even though i'm only gonna name three um uh but you know comedy political activism and writing right and my my social world or the extent of my sort of contact list basically kind of runs through those three universes for sure and, and uh, i mean you're obviously well connected in those worlds you've been in them for a while 
Uh, I find for me on a personal level, uh, when, once I started the show, people are actually quite approachable. Mm-hmm. Like it's very rare to get someone saying, no, I don't want to do that or, or give me a non-response. Usually when I ask someone like, oh, do you want to come on? It's more of a scheduling thing of, you know, whether they're in town or whether we can whether we can swing it more than anything. So I think that's, I don't know if that rings true to you as well, that people in Vancouver are just a little more... Yeah, there uh, is something to that, like, left co- um, uh, like West Coast laid back sort of... Uh, you know, when I had when we had John on the debaters, when Katie Allen and I were debating mm-hmm. whether Victoria should still be the capital of British Columbia, we right. were doing the debate in Victoria. And, you know, when I found out that that was our topic, I, like, I sent... John uh, a text message and just kind of said like <laughs> do you want to come do this and he wasn't sure if he'd be able to because his son was like in the like high levels of auditioning for Jeopardy oh and, whoa and so his family was going to be in New York and they were going to be seeing and so he like his first choice was to be there if he could sure but as it turned out the day that we recorded was the same day that Trudeau bailed out the um trans mountain pipeline oh okay so john what a great day well <laughs> i mean it wasn't a great day for a lot of people it was a hell of a good day for john horgan sure um and uh you know he'd just been essentially uh was you know the people's champion uh all day long in yeah, these like that's right. conferences and no one in the audience knew he was going to come out on stage yeah so i thought they were going to like carry him out on their shoulders like they were just they it was it was um euphoric yeah so uh, and he was it was and he was basically against victoria being the capital in the debate yeah yeah, yeah. uh so he uh he suggested that it should be um souk right. <laughs> right uh and but it was it was one of these things where i wrote him a little um uh i i wrote him something um i you know ran it by him obviously mm-hmm. uh to to see if he and and he was he was pretty into the script uh you know there was a jo- uh, a joke about him and um uh you know that he was he was happy to be there because it got him out of having to go over to Andrew Weaver's house to watch the nature of things, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, which was probably my favorite line in it. And then there was a little Notley line and a little. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he, he, he anyway. He he was uh, he was pretty. He, 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 and he and he killed it. Like yeah. you know, the worry whenever you bring on somebody who's not a comedian is that they're gonna like try and overkill a joke by making it goofy. Sure. Um, which is why a That's lot my of those, stick. Well, yeah, yes. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely the kind of natural, the two natural tendencies of, um, of normal people when presented with comedians is either to like really ham it up mm-hmm. or, um, or the other thing is just to be very rude. Like a lot of people think that rudeness is kind of, it's like, I won't be funny, but I'll like, I'll tell you you're ugly or something like that. That's right. That'll be how I kind of get along with you. Bully uh, funny. Bully funny. Bully exactly. Funny. Yeah. But what's actually the funniest, the funniest that a, that a, like an average civilian person can be in relation to a comedian mm-hmm. is to just play it exactly straight oh and uh you know i did a little video a couple months ago for um comic vision which is a um a a fundraising body for uh, fighting macular degeneration and uh something something pigmentosa um anyway like uh blindnesses yeah like blindness uh 
vision disorders. And I did this video with Mace Coloni, who's a very funny young comic, and then this like high level research person, you know, in charge of the like ocular labs at and and they were the funniest person in the video because they just absolutely didn't try to be wacky. Right. They were just themselves and they were hysterical because that's the, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the key. If you ever, it's like working with a baby and trying to make yourself seem cute. Like it's, sure. it's going to be really painful to watch and it can be just as painful watching someone who's not a comedian uh, try and kind of keep up. I mean, up. that makes sense. Like when we look at, people who do things well we the, the compliment is often oh it looks effortless like yes. it looks like you're not trying yeah. right yeah. even though they might be trying very hard or whatever but that's the idea that it re- something resonates when it comes off naturally the worst person in the world at like an improv show or a comedy show it, it, when you go uh, i need a volunteer for the the person who's most excited there's an inverse relationship <laughs> to how enjoyable that's going to be right. to watch. Yeah. H- however excited you were to go up on stage is inversely proportionate to uh, how funny it's going to turn out to yeah, be. Yeah, fair enough. Well, well, I'll take that as uh, as I'll take that as advice. I'm going to try to tone it down, tone down <laughs> yeah, my excitement yeah. to have you here. Yeah, take it down a couple <laughs> notches, man. But so just to rewind a little bit, you have John Horgan in your phone, like you can text him. I do, yeah. Yeah, you ever just text him like, "Hey, what's up, buddy?" <laughs> um, <laughs> you up? <laughs> I, yeah, a lot of you up texts. Uh, 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 you know, as, him with gifs. What's yeah, <laughs> I have no. We've not. There's been no um, that no memes. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I got to know John uh, before he was uh, like after he became the leader, right? Um, but before um the election. And uh, we just kind of, uh, we just kind of really hit it off. It was one of those people who, um, like, we've 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 worked together on some things, uh, but uh, it was just one of those things where I, you know, I think as a as a Vancouver Island guy, uh, knowing how important East Vancouver is going to be to any um, uh, NDP mm. provincial leader. I think he was just kind of looking to get to know some people on the ground uh, in East Van who yeah. weren't, um, who weren't, you know, NDP staffers or or, or elected officials, and um, so we we just had lunch a few years ago. Uh, he reached out, and and uh, we've just kind of been in touch ever since. Cool. And uh, obviously, you know, now that he is. Uh, premier there he has a lot less time for texting sure but uh i would hope so yeah exactly but i i i was flying into victoria for a gig um the 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 day that they announced uh the um uh cooperation agreement with the green party okay and it was you know just total by chance Mm -hmm. like i was flying into victoria so i sent him a text i was like oh you know great news i owe you a hug and uh he goes well why don't you come down here because we're just sitting here oh so um i was in monroe's books when he texted back and uh so i bought him i thought it would be appropriate for me to get him uh like a good uh socialist gift so <laughs> i bought him um capital by uh marks yeah and love it uh, i told him you know uh if you ever are stuck for an idea this book's got some good stuff and um, I and then I just walked over to the legislature and then uh, 
like went in and we were chatting and we're sitting in the, you know, he was in the office of the leader of the opposition at the time. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, uh, hey, do you want to tour the legislature? And this is like the thing he loves to do. So apparently for years, he was like the guy who just would give these like tours around the of like of like legislators (laughs) and he could give you like the rundown of like the um the the sconces in the like when those sconces went in and why they went in there and like yeah it was wild it was that must be so surreal to have the premier of the province give you like be your tour guide for the legislature it's it's wild and it's and and it's like i mean i think it's a combination of changes in my life and changes in the political culture of the the province sure but like yeah it was it was weird for me because like when the power 50 came out um that's uh, right yeah just... in the what like actually i think it's on stands right now yeah, yeah. um you know i i know like three people in the top 10 yeah. like david eb and and john and i forget who the other person is but like my friend kelsillum is is uh, like number twenty-two, I think mm-hmm. he's a yeah. uh, Squamish Nation counselor. And I'm, I'm actually hoping to have him on the show with Christine Boyle. Oh, so I want to do a sequel the, yeah. with, with Counselor Boyle now. They, so. they they they'd be fantastic together. Yeah, and they're they're both such important people. And the other great thing about both Christine and and Kalsilum is like there's still, I mean, there's still like thirty or forty years of stuff to come from those two. Which right, is, exactly. Which is wild. I mean, I started, um, you know, following what, uh, you know, then he was, Dustin uh, uh, was doing um, when he was like in his late teens, early 20s working on like, uh, you know, he would would be, uh, my friend Stephen Hoy um, was the um, technology editor at at the Strait at the time. And so he was profiling this like young, uh, you know, indigenous kid who was doing like high tech language revitalization stuff. Right. And, and he's just one of those guys who's just been, I mean, he's been firing on all cylinders from the word go. It's just the sky's the limit for, for that dude. So, um, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, he was on the, he was on the list. And so I think it's, it's a combination of like, you know, I've gotten I've gotten older, and I, and my profile has obviously gone up from when I was in my twenties or whatever. But I also think there has been uh, a shift in uh, uh, on the West Coast. It's one of the only places in the world, really, that's uh, kind of moving in the in a in a nice direction politically. <laughs> uh, you know, in 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 a kind of polarizing time. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's. I, you know, I feel very lucky by the the about the people who are who are in my life, and that's it's 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 a garden that I tend pretty um, uh, deliberately, and mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I I'm always uh, you know I take it as a good sign to that these people who I think are great, you know, want to spend time with me, and Absolutely. and um, uh, it's 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 an it's an amazing city, like. For sure, there are just people doing incredible, incredible things. Like well, it's and that's that's the thing with you. So uh, I, I want to go back to how we first met, sort of. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you TA'd a class that I took in my very first semester at SFU, mm-hmm. uh, History One Fifty One. I believe is modern history of the Middle history East. of the modern Middle East. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and um, it, it's 
it's so cool because I remembered you and I remembered seeing you in the media and every time I'd see you in the media, whether, whether it was stand-up or some sort of political activism, I'd be like, oh man, I know that guy. That's so cool that <laughs> yeah. he's still doing his thing and in such a, with such prominence, I should say. Um, so, so it is cool about Vancouver. And again, I think maybe to go back to some of the original points, like I think it is a slightly smaller city, but then also, like you said, people are just approachable and it's very easy to get connected with the right people if you are motivated as such. Yeah, I mean, I think if you if if you were living in New York, you'd probably still feel almost as far away from the big people in New York. Yeah. Uh as you did living in uh you know, Ottawa or something. Sure. But um in Vancouver, it's like a big enough city that there's really neat stuff going on, mm-hmm. but a small enough city that you're going to excuse me, you're going to meet the people who are are doing the stuff. For sure. Which is which is pretty neat. Yeah. Um, Speaking of meeting people, I, I heard that you thought you met me at a Whole Foods. Oh, yeah. This was, <laughs> uh, well, because you had, um, uh, uh, this is one of these uh, stories of when um, value-neutral profiling goes wrong. Uh, <laughs> but I, so you had, re- in reaching out to me about the podcast, mm-hmm. you said, you know, we were in, uh, I was a student in 151, the yep. semester UTA'd. And so I I go into Whole Foods and Kits. Uh, this is a few days ago, and there's a young South Asian guy uh, who gives me a smile and waves in a way that is very like familiar. We know each other, yeah. yeah. And I'm at a stage in my life where that is as likely to be somebody who's see me on TV or see me do a, sh- a show, sure, or yeah. someone I actually know or met at a holiday party or whatever yeah and of course it's always embarrassing if somebody's like do i know you from someplace and you're like well i mean you may have seen me on tv and they're like no you're uh, you're megan's cousin right yeah uh so this guy gave me a smile and, and i gave him a wave and he said look you don't, you probably don't remember me um but uh i was actually in um uh you were my ta in history 151 yeah and i thought well what are the odds this was 15 years ago that i was the ta yeah so what are the odds so I figure pretty safe bet if a youngish South Asian fella is now bringing up history 151 for the second time in you know the last 12 years. Yeah. I go, "Oh, are you Mo?" and he says, "No." Like uh and then I had to uh, like try to backpedal of like, "Oh, I just guess everyone's name is Mo." Um there was no uh I was like, well, that was nice to see you. Um, to to but, your credit, though, because it was a Whole Foods, yes. that could have been me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that, because it was a Whole Just Foods. Just scooping up kombucha <laughs> yeah. by, the, by the crate. Yeah, that could have been me. The, so. It was somebody who was, I believe he was crushing a smoothie. Okay. Uh, that, so it was I a run pretty, that game, too. Yeah, it was, yeah. A, pretty, <laughs> it was a pretty healthy... Uh, I just had like a a, um, a chicken, uh, a rotisserie chicken that I um, uh, had had already had like another kind of confusing Vancouver multiculturalism experience with because the uh, the label for the chicken said roti 
uh, chicken, but it's like a whole basted, uh, like a whole baked roasted chicken. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And I was like, roti chicken. <laughs> I was like, what is that? Like, do they use like Caribbean spices? Like, what makes it a roti chicken? And then I was like, you idiot, you're French. It's roti. It, it means yeah. it means roasted in French. Yeah. And then I realized that no, it was just rotisserie, right, right. shortened for space. <laughs> uh, so I was already kind of in the mood for a Vancouver's. Um, uh, horn of plenty of uh, cultural diversity. Sure, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully that um, that uh, young gentleman was not offended. Oh, I don't think that's a no. reason to be offended. Um, but it is cool that that someone brought that up, remembered you from from history one fifty one. I'll be honest, you know, I haven't really kept up with the uh, the happenings in the Middle East since that class. Everything is it all good now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did, yeah. Did, did the Palestinians win? Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> everything kind of wrapped up nicely. Uh, they I mean, realized fifteen years. They it, must have chalked up a couple of W's here and there, right? It was, uh, you know, so that time and like what a time to be studying. Like I, I was, I did a degree in Middle Eastern history. And okay, I studied cool. under the person who was the professor um, of that course, Doctor William Cleveland. Who, yeah, very revered. Uh, yeah, was was a level of like that old fashioned like twentieth century capital A academic mm-hmm. like um, uh, just just a brilliant and beautiful man and um, uh, an, an, a national like an international mm-hmm. scholar of uh, Arab nationalism and the formation of Arab nationalism in the years after the, the um, collapse of the Ottoman Empire and. Uh, just, just, just an incredible guy, and and somebody I took as many courses with as I could, and and did a directed readings with him, and mm-hmm. uh, you know he 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 was an incredible guy, and and I was studying under him like as the second intifada was happening, mm-hmm. as the uh, as nine eleven. Yeah, this was, was two thousand and three, so we were just two two years removed. Yeah, from that, and, um, and the Iraq War had, I guess, started. Uh, it was about few, to start. Or, it was about or to start, or maybe March two thousand three. Yeah, so yeah, so you're right. Yeah, September so we'd be, yeah, yeah, we were a few year, a few months in. Yeah. Yeah, we were right near the end of the Iraq War in terms of the schedule <laughs> yeah. everyone had been promised. But it, but it's it's an incredible, you know, it's an incredible thing to come out into. You know, I was thinking about all of these things. I was thinking about this just earlier today because uh, what we what we critics of the Iraq War were saying in two thousand three would happen. I mean, we were we were correct to a degree that I don't think anybody anticipated. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I want to bring it back to local politics. Sure, Just sure. a little bit. Um, and and this may be a, a sign of optimism, I think. Right. Uh, the Shia, right? <laughs> and the way that they are like uh, participating in Vancouver uh, political... Uh, no, no, not that's not who I was thinking <laughs> no, of. Charismatic uh, Shiism <laughs> in uh, Va- Vision Vancouver. Like, I feel like I just want to throw out a few um, PhD dissertation sure, titles please. that people can then go can then go write. So I'll try and drop those in. But that's the first one. Charismatic Shiism and the rise of uh, Gregor Robertson. <laughs> but I, but I'm looking at you know the BCNDP are in power. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kennedy Stewart is the mayor of Vancouver. Um, one city's Christine Boyle. Copes Gene Swanson are city councilors. Is Vancouver and maybe BC as a whole uh, finally slurping up 
the leftist manna <laughs> that so many of us have wanted for so long. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, so so staying at the city level. Yeah, I would say that one of the things that's most interesting to me as a um, as a hostage to municipal politics, mm-hmm. which is how I would probably describe my relationship to the civic left at this point, just because my my wife is one of the founding members of One City, and oh, she's she on, is yeah, okay, cool. Um, she's on the uh, she's on the organizing committee of One City, and so and all, you used to be a part of Cope, right? I was the membership secretary for Cope. So have you switched over? What you year? Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So I I felt like. Um, uh, I feel I well, I, I don't want to I don't want to get like no, you step in especially curious, no I'm just yeah. trying to think how to how to word it I mean I I think that my 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 general belief is that cope uh, is uh, cope is an incredibly important political franchise in the history of Vancouver municipal politics, mm-hmm. um, but I definitely feel like it is part of. Uh, an, an older landscape of 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 the city and right. and uh i haven't felt that cope has been particularly um uh m- much of anything to get excited about for for a number of years sure so i i feel like one, one thing that um uh one thing that happened with cope was that classic thing of uh a coalition that gets too big yeah and when once you get to a place where you know, Tim Lewis and Larry Campbell are in the same party. It's the, like that party's not long for this world. Yeah. Um, the same thing happened to Vision. Yeah, of course. Uh, and um, so, so I haven't been involved uh, with Cope for a long time, and I had kind of sworn off municipal politics. Which, and then uh, you know, a few years after that, Kara got super interested, um, and you know, she's been involved in this project. At one city that mm-hmm. that I'm you know I'm deeply supportive of and I, and I I I feel is the the future of of the left in 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 Vancouver. Um, uh, you can't at me because I'm not on Twitter, but feel free to <laughs> at Mo uh, if that offended you. Um, I think uh, one of the really interesting things that's happening at the municipal level is that the grid uh, from left to right is almost. Uh, equaled in importance in the grid from sort of urbanist or developmental to preservation. Yeah, this is the uh, the Ian Bushfield Camby Report yeah. school of thought, and we've talked about this as well. And it, it, it you're right. Like I, I, I wasn't a big fan of people saying, "Well, this isn't about left or right." Uh, but I think there's there was an added dimension. Anybody right? who ever says, "Oh, this is not about left or right," or "We've moved beyond left or right," <laughs> is just is right wing. Yeah. Like that's a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> you heard, well, you heard that a lot from Hector Bremner and Mark Marison and yeah. West Vancouver. It's like, of course, this isn't about left. Or right. <laughs> yeah, but but I but I, I I do feel that you know so the so the Greens have if, if you look at it just on paper. Mm-hmm. There is a progressive majority on council with a yeah. with a progressive mayor, uh, green um, uh, green councilors, Gene Swanson, uh, who is whatever my feelings on cope are uh, as a political entity. I, I you know Gene obviously is someone who has um, sweated and bled for this city for mm-hmm. for decades and has an incredible um, uh, legacy and 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 record. And, and Christine, um, that that's a that's a quote unquote progressive majority. Yeah, um, but how many of them are 
urbanists. Well, almost right? the first thing that anybody who started talking about was rescinding the duplex yeah. zoning. And you've got Adrian Carr, uh, <laughs> like who's, I mean, not only supposed to be progressive, but it's supposed to be a, a, a conservationist, like an ecologist. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there is no more ecologically unfriendly way of organizing human habitation than single detached homes. Sure. So anything from a from an ecological perspective that makes it easier to live in the city, to not have to commute, that uses the space of it like like this should be a, it should be a slam dunk for an for a small G green party mm-hmm. to um support uh, densification efforts like the duplex zoning. Right. And then instead, you know, the very first thing that they come out on is is rescinding that. Like yeah. to me that's that's like when Reagan took the solar panels off the roof of the White House. Right. right? Yeah. Like not only is it a crazy thing to do, yeah. but that you would make it this big symbol, the very first thing yeah. is 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 scary. So We'll see what happens with the the left in Vancouver. I I so we're I, not slurping up the leftist mana then, or the I mean progressive I, mana. I don't know. I I think like to to a certain extent we are, and I yeah. do think it is really telling that we went from a city in which, like seven years ago, it looked like Vision Vancouver would rule for a, a thousand years. Yeah. You know, like yeah. there was. Th- like that seemed to be completely impermeable, and just politically, culturally, they seemed to be exactly what Vancouver was, mm-hmm. which was a slightly glib, uh, <laughs> semi-ecologically conscious, centrist, pragmatist. You know, we'll build a bike lane, we'll build condos, um, and so I do think uh, it's. You know, I, I don't think Kennedy Stewart is someone in the mold of, of Vision Vancouver. I think mm-hmm. he very much is more from that um, federal and provincial NDP mm-hmm. background as opposed to the kind of liberal NDP hybrid that Vision was at various times in its sure. um, in its existence. In, in Vancouver, in British Columbia, in Canada, um, do you think at least maybe culturally or at the very least semantically... Uh, the left has won in the sense that everyone, uh, in, including politicians, including parties on the right, all like to call themselves progressives. Yeah. I'm, right? I, like, that's a win. Totally. I mean, I I do think it's a win. And I think there are people who have made the argument that, you know, it comes from a hollowing out of those uh, of those words. And I right. think that is something you always have to be attuned to. I think the word feminist is another one of those words sure. that uh, it's a it's both a mark of its success and a danger that that anybody can apply it to mean more or less right. anything good. Um, but yeah, there there are and things... that term progressive. Derek O'Keefe taught me this was yeah. it was used by full on communists to hide the fact that they were <laughs> communists. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, and 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 now it's being used by full-on capitalists to hide the fact that they're right, neoliberals. Exactly. But it's, um, you know, I, I think Canada, you know, I, I walk a real tight line with this one because 
I, I do feel like it's very easy for us to pat ourselves on the back. Yeah. And I don't want to be especially read as one of those, uh, you know, oblivious white men who <laughs> thinks that everything's fine up here compared to sure. the States. I also think if, you know, in keeping with what I said earlier about reminding ourselves of the wins as well as the losses, mm-hmm. like what we've built here with with certain massive exceptions and very important exceptions is pretty special. And when you look at Canada as a whole, as a country, it is a, it's a country that has worked out very well for everybody who came uh, after it got started. Sure. <laughs> and for the people who were already here before it got started, yeah. and I, I'm talking about Francophones, but um, I'm mostly talking about Indigenous peoples, mm-hmm. like for the, for the polities that Canada was built on top of, yeah. there's a certain degree to which that, that struggle is going to be a lot harder. But if you look at, you know, Vancouver and its attitude towards East and South Asian people 100 years ago compared to now. Sure, yeah. Without right erasing yeah. any of the, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I say this half jokingly, but not entirely jokingly. We went from race riots to multiracial hockey riots. That's progress. <laughs> Like a bunch of people of all different colors Coming throwing together. a newspaper box through the same Hudson Bay window. Yeah. Like that's it's kind of beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're that silver lining, I guess. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you ever want to, uh, uh, like the nihilistic Pollyanna. That's the uh, yeah. that's the vibe I'm going for with yeah. that one. <laughs> I yeah uh, I think that's a great point. Um, you you make that point though of of a Canadian tendency, and you talked about this on Marin's podcast as mm-hmm. well, um, towards smugness vis a vis what happens in America, like when we look at yeah. American politics, right? Um, but but do you think that you know DJT forty five provides a cautionary tale um, for any democracy, um, or do you think that? In our smugness, we've kind of already Godwin laud him right. into meaninglessness because I've seen the the political conversation in Canada from every party, and I just say every party, but all parties on the spectrum, uh, calling each other Trumpian, yeah, right, or saying, "Oh, this is how this is how Donald Trump got into power," yeah, and it's become this like, and maybe in our smugness, it's become this nothingness argument, right? Yeah, where, it, where I think. Trump and and the the reasons why he rose to power are an interesting cautionary tale of of what can happen when you have a disengaged population. Yeah, I mean the the other thing that I uh, that I said on Marin and I I think is still true is I, I hope it held up after a month. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just yeah my prediction on uh, I, I got it's a list of Oscar predictions. Yeah, my World Series bet, my big yeah. World Series bet on L.A. Um, I think, uh, that Donald Trump, the road to Donald Trump in North America is kind of conceptually impossible without Rob Ford. And that's a great point. And I remember I, I was in Toronto in the summer of, 
I want, I guess it was like 2000. No, it was 2010, summer 2010, yeah. when he was running for mayor oh, okay. of Toronto. Yeah. And it was about halfway through the campaign. And it was the exact same thing that happened with Trump, where it was right at the moment where all these kind of snickering pundits were kind of like, huh, how come he hasn't disappeared yet? Yeah. Uh, this guy who we all... I mean, everyone on the panel, we all agree that it's a total joke that he's running, mm -hmm. that he could never possibly run, yeah. uh, that he could never possibly win. win yeah. um, uh, there was a story came out that he'd been busted for a DUI in Florida or something. There was stuff about drug use and all, all this stuff that historically would have proved like totally lethal. Yeah. And, uh, and I, you know, so I was in toronto that summer i'd never heard of this guy before mm. obviously um and my mother-in-law is kind of trying to explain to me that he's this you know some goofball who you know like and and i'm just listening to these people on radio talk shows and stuff like that who are absolutely agog that this guy's numbers they keep going up yeah and uh i feel like you know the arc of the of this or of the Donald Trump story is practiced in the arc of the uh, Rob Ford story. Yeah. And yeah, we'll yeah. see what yeah. happens with, um, we'll see what happens with Rob Ford, mm -hmm. uh, Doug, Doug Ford, Ford rather. Yeah. Uh, I have a feeling that the kind of old fashioned kind of stick up the ass um, wasp uh, conservatives in Canada, mm -hmm. I feel like they've got a little bit more, hegemony within their party than their counterparts in the states mm -hmm. of like the old episcopalian republicans uh okay. like the george hw bushes sure. um i i don't know if i'm right but i i have a feeling that uh that doug ford is going to be probably tamed a little bit more than um uh, a little bit more than than trump has been mm -hmm. just because i think he'll be he'll be absorbed more effectively into the main line of um, Canadian conservatism. Right. I could, I could be totally wrong about that in a way that ends up being completely nightmarish. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but, we'll, <clears throat> but we'll see. The fact that he cut um, francophone language services in Ontario is such a weirdly throwback um choice yeah and so out of sync with the white nationalist moment on the um on the global populist right mm -hmm. because all of these sort of old inter ethnic you know white uh um rivalries and and whatever have, have really all been set aside in the interest of uh the fact the fact that you know, a, a, a hardcore Anglophone right winger from Ontario cutting French is such a 1970s <laughs> thing yeah. that it's almost it, it, it's almost to me it's almost reassuring. Yeah, because it's like the scariest version of Doug Ford for me is the one who goes, yeah, I think, um, you know, I think the the Quebec government is right to you know ban 
veils or sure. you know like yeah. like that's the scarier version of Doug Ford to me. Yeah. One of the reasons why his his brother was so scary is you know we loved to tell ourselves that it was all you know rich old white guys voting for him mm-hmm. but Rob Ford had a he's very popular and he cut deep into what the left thinks of as uh, you know, what ought to be our constituencies. Yeah, and I think, I mean, when we, and I'm painting very broad strokes here, but, you know, when we look at Rob Ford and Doug Ford and, and Trump in a lot of ways, they're just kind of cutting through the bullshit for a lot of people, Yeah. right? And I'm not saying that they are, but that's just a lot how a lot of people see them. And, and when you had a figure like um, Obama, who was very well-spoken and eloquent and made mm. all these, gra- you know, grandiose promises... And you had a lot of people that felt disillusioned after eight years. And, you know, there was a lot of things that Obama continued from George H.W. Bush. Totally. Right? They were very similar in a lot of ways. Um, and then you have this wrecking ball that comes in who's just who's just saying, you know, we're going to flip this system on its head and, and we're going to drain the swamp and we're going to do this and that. Um, I completely understand why that would be appealing. And especially when you have a culture on the left – that has a bit of this like purity culture. Everyone's trying to outdo each other. Sorry, did you say a bit? <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But everyone's trying to outdo each other. And you, you and I can both be on the left, and I'll say something, and you'll say, "Well, you know, there's something really problematic." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do. And it's like, hey, we're just two guys talking, and and no, we're never two people talking. No, and we're never just in a and and. Like, I know that this is a really unpopular view on on the left, but mm. the, the idea that the left has any responsibility by by making, you know, being around us about as comfortable as, you know, <laughs> sitting back in a in a, a, a chair made of thorns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is but but I'm sorry, like there, to me, there's just there's no way you can account for the amount of intellectual energy that is running over to the right yeah. uh, without at least thinking about how unattractive we have made. Yeah. Like we've made ourselves like we're the guys who are going to tell you why the movie you like is wrong and yeah. why the holiday that you enjoy is wrong. And that, that was never what the left was about. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and some of these conversations are important, but I, but I think where it becomes disingenuous or very off-putting is when, there's so much posturing and I'm better than yeah. you because I recognize that, um, I don't know, the Lion King is problematic or whatever. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, the Lion King is super problematic. <laughs> and that's my next dissertation idea. Um, from Birth of a Nation to the Lion King, constructions of... Uh, anyway, I... Like, there's... there's uh, we, we were... What, what were we just saying? I, I, I lost my train of thought slightly. Um, uh, oh, about... about, about People feeling that it's just kind of a tonic to yeah. hear someone who is saying the. I, ironically, it's because Trump says horrible shit. Yeah. That you know something in you knows that he's telling the truth. Like I actually do think that like yeah he he is saying the things he believes and mm. the things he believes are horrible. Yeah. But there's nothing triangulated about it, and I almost yeah. feel like people respond to that level of authenticity um and some of it's just blunt like so if trump's saying you know the media sucks yeah there's a little truth to that i know and i'm not saying he's correct um because he's the way he's saying it and and you know going on that conspiratorial end 
But you can understand why a lot of people would say, yeah, you know what? The media's been feeding me garbage for the last 10 years. And Or when he came out against NATO. Yeah. yeah. And, and you had all of these like self, you know, soi-disant um, leftists mm-hmm. decrying uh, – that that the president of the United States wasn't showing proper respect for NATO. Yeah, <laughs> we've all, we've been saying get disband NATO for decades. Yeah, like that was a mainstream left, you know, social democratic position. Was yeah, it, I mean NATO for Christ's <laughs> sake, it's a Cold War. Like, and so and so when Donald Trump says, uh, oh, you know, NATO's bullshit anyway." Yeah. Like the response shouldn't be, no. Here, here's why NATO's great. <laughs> it sh- it should be to figure out what we've done on the left to sure. like leave out our family jewels, like heirlooms that we put out <laughs> on the lawn for this like hillbilly hobo to come through, take the pie off the windowsill, and take you know free speech yeah. and anti-imperialism. Uh, and and just go oh well if the left's not using these yeah yeah very it's well it's said. crazy yeah um, we gotta talk more about you I could talk about uh, this all sorry, day but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm deflecting <laughs> I do love it um, let's talk about your comedy let's start there and then sure. we'll get into the book um, I feel like comedy in particular is in need of more family men or or at least. Uh, Family men who are open to talking about their family life. Right, right. Uh, which you do in your comedy special uh, last year. As a single person, I want to know, how did you meet your wife and how long before you introduced her to your brother? Um, yeah. So so I, I, I was trying to think when I introduced... I, I, I will say that very early into dating my Well, how did you meet? Wife. So we Let's met... We met um, at SFU Harbor Center, a few oh. blocks from here, uh, at a conference in 2005 called Thinking Through Action that okay. I helped um, to organize. And it was essentially, uh, it was um, built around the uh, Pacific Northwest Labor History Association was also, they had their conference as part of our conference that year. Uh, but it was, a, it was a, a conference celebrating the life of a man named Jack O'Dell, who... Um, Still lives in Vancouver. He's 95 years old. Uh, Jack uh, was um, a an organizer with the National Maritime Union in the 1940s. One of the um, you know very radical and anti-racist, uh, anti-segregationist uh, Merchant Marine Union. Okay. Uh, he was a member of the Communist Party USA briefly in the 50s, and then uh, was a leading fi- figure in the um, Southern Christian Leadership Conference and worked hand-in-glove with um, Martin Luther King. He was targeted by the Kennedy brothers um, who uh, wanted King to uh, let him go because of his communist history oh, that they said was a liability to... Um, civil rights being accepted by the liberal mainstream. Uh, King and Jack. Um, this is a romantic story about how you yeah. realized that. By <laughs> I, know, the way. I just realized like uh yeah we're, the, we're the, really the history is fascinating. I've just... I know. Uh anyway, <laughs> at so what point does she come into you're, the you're right, you're right. Uh <laughs> if, if funny enough, Jack's uh wife, Jane, who's an uh, who's an equally extraordinary person, uh also studied with um uh, Bill Cleveland. Oh, she cool. did her okay. PhD in Palestinian 
uh, labor history. Oh, but uh, okay. So just take it as given then <laughs> yeah. that, that Jack is an amazing guy. Jack's one of those people who is just he he, he is remembered out of all proportion in exactly the wrong direction to like what he's accomplished. Like okay. nobody knows that this guy lives in Vancouver. Yeah. He, he, he's one of the giants of 20th century anti-racist left wing anti-imperialist work. So we had this conference and at the time Kara, my wife was working for uh, the action research exchange at okay. SF Perg. And um, she was just doing like an info table and mm. she was doing a table at the, at the conference and uh, I just thought, well, uh, she's very attractive. <laughs> and if she's at this thing, she's probably um, pretty cool. Yeah. And so I, I went up and, and um, chatted with her. At the time, she had, uh, she had uh, a boyfriend, um, but Ooh. we... Um, we sort of we had you know exchanged touch. emails and yeah, yeah. It kept in touch and then I ran into her again at uh, under the volcano which uh, leftists of a certain vintage in Vancouver will all know um, you know was an annual sort of hard left uh, uh, cultural and political festival out in uh, North Van at Kate's Park mm-hmm. and uh, I ran into her again there we started exchanging. Um, uh more mutually seductive uh uh emails after that and uh we started we started dating uh at the end of summer 2005 okay um and uh i don't remember when i introduced her to my brother but i do remember <laughs> that very early Your very on, handsome brother my very handsome brother interject. yeah but but yeah um but but uh gay so not a threat oh, okay. in these like yeah i can i can introduce them all i want yeah, yeah. uh you know lady you do not have the key to that house yeah. <laughs> you will not get in um and uh i my aunt has uh so my mom died when i was a little kid mm-hmm. and she had a couple of my mom's uh, rings. Okay. Um, and the idea was always that I would have these rings. Uh, they, they like my mom's ring was going to be my, you know, uh, wedding ring, ring for yeah. my, okay, yeah. you know, in the, in the very heteronormative family planning that sure. we've been doing. And uh, I introduced Kara to my aunt. Uh, just like I'd been, you know, we'd been dating for like, maybe a month and a half or something wow, or two months it. and my my aunt said uh like i i went out to my aunt was leaving she you know she was in her car and she was leaving my place and she said um by the way you know whenever you want um those rings i have them uh so there was like a very kind of uh unambiguous like uh, people knew right from the get-go that we were... Uh, Did you know right from the get-go? I, I mean, I struggled with it uh, a, a bit more. I have I have OCD, and um, one of the tendencies is just like over-rumination and, and sort of anxiety. And, and uh, uh, so I actually like... I, I broke up with Kara after a few weeks initially, and then called and you know begged to have her back and she was magnanimous right. enough to uh, and then you introduced her to the aunt to do that and then I introduced her to my aunt wow. and, and um, right. 
uh, uh, you know, not right after, but pretty soon <laughs> yeah. after. Uh, and you know, she was more or less, uh, she was more or less living at my place within about, you know, five months. And, mm. and I, I had proposed to her 10 months into our, um, wow. uh, relationship and, uh, yeah, we're coming up on, um, It'll be our 11th anniversary in about two weeks. Congratulations. Thank you. That's amazing. Thank you. I, uh, yeah, you know, so as I said, as a single person, I like hearing these stories uh, because when you're single and you date and you're out there dating, uh, you always wonder, like, are you supposed to know <laughs> that this is the person? Yeah. You know, because everyone could be that person, but more likely than not, because you're dating, they're not, right? Like, yeah. Um, the first feelings that you feel in a relationship are almost all, um, you know, there's, there's, I forget who it was who said this, but it's, it, I, you know, as a, as a comedian, I always come back to it because this person said that, like, um, that laughter and love were like similar processes, but which worked in opposite directions, mm. which is that uh, laughter or comedy begins as an intellectual response and becomes a physical one. Oh, interesting. Uh, whereas love begins as a physical response and becomes an intellectual one. Oh. Um, and, uh, you know, you've, you've got that, like, that infatuation stage that, that happens in relationships. And a lot of people, um, you know, we, we went to a dinner once where the, the priest who married us had a dinner with all of the couples that he had married that year. Mm -hmm. And there were there was one couple, they, like, they could not keep their hands off each other. Yeah. And I remember looking at that and thinking, like, well, if I'm not doing that with Kara, like, are we in the right situation? You know, right. like, like, these guys are all over each other. Uh, they're the only people I know of from that year who... who have separated since <laughs> Every, but you know because it was because it's not necessarily about it's not even about who you have the best sex with of your life yeah necessarily yeah i mean uh i'm almost suspicious of those cu uh, couples that are so outwardly affectionate especially if, if they've been together for a while you almost wonder if they're putting on a show who are you or... doing this for yeah, yeah right yeah. like if, if you've been together for years with someone and you're still kind of all over each other in public in public is a bit much. That's what I mean. Yeah, public, yeah, yeah. Right? Absolutely. Like, yeah, I don't know. There's but always you, something suspicious to me. But yeah, that. I mean the the other the other thing is like I, I mean it's so tough to talk about marriages or relationships or parenthood and like not lapse into um, cliche because it's such well worn territory. Sure. But like when they say that it's a marathon and not a sprint, like I mean that 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 stuff's all true, right? Mm -hmm. So the kind of the kind of the kind of like uh on fire um passion of like a you know summertime romance with somebody who you happen to be in the same city with for a couple of weeks and you're never going to see like you can't you can't have a like people who tell you they've been married for 50 years it's not cuz they they've managed to stoke that for 50 years like it's just <laughs> yeah. not the way it works yeah and you'll have times when um you know, there there are times when you can go weeks, sometimes even months, where you, you just feel like you're slightly out of sync mm -hmm. um, from your partner, and so part part of what you're doing in a in a marriage is is committing to the committing to the long term, and uh, um, you know, it it's I think one of the reasons that people have a lot of trouble with that in in 
contemporary life is because it, it it's actually one of those institutions that completely runs against the spirit of our contemporary life. Sure. Which is, you know, end of quarter profits <laughs> whatever in whatever you know metaphor yeah. that might yeah that might be um and i think you know if you've a lot of us have been raised and i think a lot of a lot of men have been um in particular have been raised in this way of like if you're not pursuing maximum uh pleasure mm-hmm. and particularly you know sensual pleasure um 100 of the time you're somehow uh, betraying yourself or, you know, you're, right. you're and, and you see that with the kind of sick, like gaming culture that has entered into dating of yeah, guys who have an anxiety almost about. I, I think that's, that's true. And, and, you know, when you're thinking about like an 18 year old or early twenties, I mean, you have so much testosterone just coursing through your body. Yeah. So you're at max testosterone and yeah. you have no idea what to do with it. And I think, that makes sense at that age. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying sure. like, there's a maybe natural tendency to think like that at that age. And then I, I would hope that most men, as they get older, realize like, oh yeah, that's not a great existence to, no. live, to live like that. No. Right? Um, so I do wonder how much of it is, uh, I think that's a very fair critique, but how much of that critique is based on men whose biology is almost working against them. I mean, I think there's a certain extent to which uh, so much of just civilization is working against <laughs> our, uh, you know, and I, that's certainly not my observation. I think Freud got there first. Sure. But I, I mean, I, I uh, you know, we, we, we're, we're taught to kind of control so many of our other impulses i mean we socially mm-hmm. we we look down on anyone who can't control their impulse to eat or can't control their impulse to drink or right. can't control their impulse to uh to do drugs mm-hmm. um anybody who pursues that kind of pleasure monomaniacally yeah. is considered uh you know unworthy of our respect or esteem whereas there are certain things if you if you have that kind of monomaniacal dedication to making money or you have that kind of monomaniacal dedication to uh, having sex with as many different people as you can, somehow that's like somehow that's like a gold star on your sheet, which I think is um, yeah. ultimately immiserating for, for everybody involved. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't think, obviously it's not fair to other sexual partners who don't have the same understanding of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, but, but ultimately I think it's, 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 I mean, I imagine I was never this guy, so I, I can't say like, you know, once you once you're having sex with your 1200th person, but you know, I remember like, you know, people used to talk about the number of women that Warren Beatty had, you know, uh, mythically or legendarily mm-hmm. had, had sex with or whatever. Um, and and you know people always would relate as like as oh man to be Warren Beatty and you know sleep with two thousand women or whatever, mm-hmm. but then I remember listening to an interview I think it was with um, uh, Dustin Hoffman who then <laughs> uh, apparently you know didn't have it all uh, together in terms of his um, behavior either, uh, but he was talking about uh, you know 
Warren Beatty on the set of some movie, uh, and the way he's describing the, the like his need to have sex with every woman that he saw, yeah, it actually like w- once you describe it in terms of what it meant on a day to day level, it sounded absolutely miserable. Yeah, like it sounded like oh, this is a guy who is like, it, like cannot live in any mo- he, he's living a life that 99% of the world would give you know 11 family members to get to experience and he's not in it because he's just on this like addictive weird numbers based yeah and especially when it's a uh, compulsion you're not yeah. happy like i don't think anyone who is no. a compulsive gambler any sex addict yeah. whatever mm-hmm. is happy because that's what a compulsion is right except compulsive eating always feels good <laughs> Not afterwards, but in no, the moment, after, it really does. The, I, I think those other things probably feel good in the moment too. Yeah. But. Well, I mean, you you do like that. That uh, you hear about people having like joyless sex, right. like compulsive joyless sex. Yeah. And that that really sounds uh, that sounds awful. Yeah. Oh yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Um. But you're a family man. I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, um, yeah. Uh, um, and you're you're a dad to a beautiful girl, Josephine. Well, thank you very uh, much. Who is on the cover of your comedy album, Fatherland? She is. It's an unretouched photo of her giving me the finger. Yeah. When she was six months old. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> a sign of things to come. Yeah, absolutely. Just wait till those teenage years hit in. I, I mean, they can't be. I took a photo with her a couple of days ago, and the face she's making—it's like you would think. Oh, this is a man with his like fourteen year old who yeah. has some sort of you know like liver problem, so she just didn't grow. Right. <laughs> but that's clearly a fourteen year old kid just from the like shitty face that yeah. she's making. Like uh yeah, I feel like I'm getting I feel like I'm getting an unfair pre um pre helping of uh of adolescent rebellion. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um you talked about, you know, how how love and and parenthood you know touch on cliches so i'm going to ask you a cliche question sure how has fatherhood affected where you focus your professional time and energy oh that's yeah i mean there is a moment when you uh have a kid you know it's 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 after their you know it's it's not in those first few months because in the first few months they really do feel something like uh, i mean you uh, absolutely adore them but they think of you as like an extension of their body right. i mean they literally think that of their mother yeah and they sort of think that about you as a father too and uh you know you don't really necessarily get the sense that you're loved so much as you're needed mm. um in those in those first few months yeah and then the like the love that you get from them kicks in right and because then they can actually see things in front of them. Exactly. More so. Yeah. And they have a sort of understanding that, oh, this is my hand. Yeah. Not this thing that's hitting me randomly, right? And, and you know, for people who have a um, a religious understanding of love mm-hmm. and, and the world, there's something godlike in the, in the love that your child feels for you mm-hmm. in that... So, so I would come home and I would see this little, you know, year old baby mm-hmm. who loved, who loves me more than anyone on the planet. Like, like nobody, 
even comes close to how much this kid loves me. Sure. And she doesn't even know what a comedian is. <laughs> so the person who loves me more than anyone yeah. not only doesn't know about my biggest accomplishments mm -hmm. or the things that I work the hardest at or try that, like, she not only doesn't know about... Uh, she not only doesn't know about them, she wouldn't even know how to begin to categorize them. Like, right. there's, they, they, they mean less than nothing to her. Yeah. And that's a mirror of divine love, love of, like, the idea of, you know, if God loves sinners mm -hmm. and there's nothing, you know, there, there's this idea that, that, you know, people, when you talk about the love of God, um, that there's nothing you could do to make God love you any less, but there's also nothing you can do to make God love you any more. Right. That's both a, a liberating and also a terrifying idea because mm -hmm. you're essentially helpless. You can't do anything to move the needle sure. either way. And it, to, there's something about that in the way your kid looks at you. Mm hmm where you realize like everything that I thought was the most important stuff is nothing. Yeah. Like my, my daughter's like, tell me about the time you did a show with Robin Williams. Like that, that, that's, that's not, I mean, she like there's neat stuff I get to tell her. Like when I did my little pony, mm -hmm. like that's a neat thing to be able to say, you know, daddy, that's daddy's voice yeah. on the my little pony. You're kind of like, um, uh, princess twilight's sister, right? Cause if I played princess twilight's dad, right. And, <laughs> and I'm your dad, yeah. you're kind of her sister. She kind of goes like, Oh yeah, that's, that's neat. <laughs> it, it mean, it's like nothing compared to just being able to like put her head on my belly. Like, yeah. Um, so, and I guess that's, that's the amazing thing with kids is that they're so present yes right so they're not looking at the past or or, or the future. i mean as they get older they do but they're not really looking at the future but when they're so young they're just in that moment and yeah when you talk about like a religious concept of love that's what it's all about is just being mm -hmm. ever present in that moment yeah right and it's and it's has that made you more present do you think uh in the I, rest of your life like it's uh, made it's made me want to be present more. I mean, like, I don't sure. know that I can say that I've accomplished it. Yeah. But it's made me realize that that's that that's what I want. Yeah. I mean, I I I genuinely like whenever I find myself envious of someone's career or you know how somebody else is doing or uh, you know people have these big breakthroughs that that have eluded me and um, whenever I feel that kind of um, envy, I just think. You know, would you trade any of it for for your daughter? Like, would you like? And, and I really do, I really do feel like in, in that way it dwarfs everything else that I that I do, mm -hmm. which is like, which is not entirely just a positive thing, right? Because because yeah. I I love the things that I do and I want to <laughs> care about them, right? And so it can be it can be deflating as well. Um, cause you just think, uh, oh, none of what I'm doing is like everything I was doing was just killing time until this little person came along. But, um, it, it's, it's, you know, the, the way that fatherhood is, has, 
has changed me the most is I, I would say mostly in terms of you know proportion and and perspective yeah um i definitely i don't want to be on the road for 40 weeks a year i wouldn't take a job as like a showrunner if it landed in my lap like mm -hmm. if somebody said you can run your own series I, I there's not a chance i'd do it yeah 80 hours a week never yeah um because if like 80 hours a week and i miss the time from she's seven to nine or yeah you know 11 to 14 uh i i, I you can't you can't make that trade from i i couldn't sure i, sh I yeah, should yeah. say so like it's 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 affected i mean it's affected my ambition or my goals for myself um i really from my career i want nothing more than to be able to do creative work mm -hmm. and live you know with moderate comfort Mm -hmm. uh i i really don't need or want to be adored or famous or sure. uh, which which i used to want very much yeah so yeah so it sounds like a bit of a uh humbling experience and again sort of being mm -hmm. back to uh appreciating the present as opposed to thinking about you know if i do this project i'm gonna get to this level or that level or here's what i'm striving for you know, and again, not in a mm -hmm. bad way that you're less ambitious, but just being more present in terms of what the, what matters to you. Yeah, and and it was it was also just like about realizing that so many of the 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 kind of arbitrary lines of accomplishment that I had, had, had set for myself as things to strive for, like they weren't going to make me feel whole. Yeah, like they like those things weren't going to. Uh, you know, one of the fill things, your cup as yeah as, yeah. as time with your daughter does right? yeah uh, and in and, those moments and and like and there are also things that even she can't fill yeah. like sure so, yeah, yeah so when I you know when I lost my mother that leaves a hole uh, that you will stuff anything you can into yeah and uh, you know for some people it ends up being drugs or alcohol or you know, it can be it can be um, accomplishments too. Like mm -hmm. you do that that same thing, or you just do like, hey, if I go out and stand on a stage for forty five minutes, yeah, and people laugh and think I'm hilarious, that's a, that's a kind of affection, right? And maybe that can be like the synthetic. Like I'll throw that in the hole for a few minutes and see how that sits. And uh, you know, you can do the same thing with, uh, you know, I realized that comedy wasn't going to fill that hole. But also, uh, becoming a father was also not gonna fill that hole. It was gonna, it's gonna light the hole in a different way mm -hmm. because, you know, it it, it kind of gets rolled in front of it, and and you know, it it having having my own child has definitely affected the way that I think about having lost a parent so early, mm -hmm. but. You can't, uh, you know. I've I've sort of come to a, a realization of, you know, there's nothing that's going to fit that exact shape. Yeah, uh, and you just kind of have to live around the shape. Yeah, beautifully said. I love that. <laughs> I I um, <laughs> I'm trying. I, I no, I, I loved I, it. I, I thought okay. that was great. Thank you. Um, w one of your your big accomplishments this year uh, has been your novel, Property Values. Uh, very topical in the context of Vancouver with this sort of intersection of housing, 
criminal gangs, local media, multiculturalism. And uh, as I said at the, the top of the show, it's it's awesome. Like I thought oh, it's very insightful. Uh, I crushed it in one sitting, which I never do with, with books. Um, I like to read, but just never happens no, no, for me. No, no, no. I, 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 similarly. Um, do you think the... Uh, I, want, I wanted to talk about something you just sort of touched on, right? Because one of the themes of, of the book uh, that resonated with me the most was grieving over a lost parent. Mm-hmm. And uh, also this desire to hold on to things or to replenish or substitute feelings long after someone has gone. Uh, so I lost my mom as well, but right. I was a uh, much later age than you were. I was 25 when that oh, happened. I still... Yeah, because it's not an age where you're supposed to, right? No. Um, and I found for me, like nine years after the fact, with a lot of like healthy processing, including, funnily enough, a novel attempt. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which got, I'll just say this uh, just for reference purposes, it got about a dozen requests from agents for full manuscripts. You know how they ask for yeah. like, samples and then you kind of move through. So it got a dozen requests for full and I'm not, I'm not a writer by any means. I just enjoy writing, I guess. Um, but it got those, never made it beyond that. Still, that's but, that's pretty good. Thanks. I appreciate that. And, and, and I guess at the end of the day, that was never the goal. Like, I, right. I just wanted to have this piece that I was proud and satisfied for and satisfied about. And then um, it was a therapeutic process. Like, yeah. The process was way more valuable than sort of anything mm-hmm. that I think would have come after that. Um now, as funny as your book is, uh, and as insightful as it is, you know how much of it was therapeutic for you to touch on a very similar theme about losing a parent and trying to hold on to or replenish these these feelings? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, there's a lot in that question. That's, that's <laughs> like, I, you can I, take I, it any way you want. Yeah, I know, yeah. but I also, I don't, I also don't want to just like sort of. Uh, move on completely in my own direction without sort of acknowledging what you've said. Um, but it's, it's, I mean, I definitely feel like in early, in early work for me, I was thinking of, thinking of creative work as, as therapy, mm-hmm. thinking of it as, as, as some, maybe not thinking of it as therapy, but thinking of it as therapeutic. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's something that as you move into, um, uh, you know, two two signs that you're moving into maturity as a writer are like one, uh, the audience's feelings are more important than the audience's feelings in re- in reading it are more important than your feelings in writing it. Mm. Uh, I think is is one stage of like you've 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 you're not just doing the art to work through something you're 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 doing it for the person on the other end who, who's who's um reading it uh and the, the i mean the other sign i think that you've matured as a writer is, is when um cutting things feels good yeah <laughs> uh, there there's there's a real like it's it's such a hard thing at the beginning of a um life of writing and and then and then when you get to a place where it feels like you're, you know, throwing stuff out that you've been holding on to, yeah. it, like it's it's such a nice, um, it's such a good feeling. Uh, y- you know, Scott, the protagonist of the book, is someone who has lost his mother, you know, in, in something closer to what you experienced. Mm-hmm. Like, 
early young adulthood. adulthood. Yeah. yeah. Um, so as an adult, but still earlier than you're supposed to be um, when you're losing a parent. Sure. And I, part of that is is literally just a failure of imagination on my part. I find it, I find it almost impossible to imagine the interiority of a of a character who who has two living, you know, healthy parents. Right. I, I it's almost to me like. Uh, in the same way that there are some authors who would feel like, oh, I, I would never, I could never write a character from that ethnic background because mm. I don't like, I almost feel like, what do I know about having two parents? Like, right, uh, right. I can't, I, I can't even picture what that's like. Um, uh, so part of it is just that, I mean, in, in a certain way, I'm, I'm reproducing my, my own experiences uh you know i have a dead mother and a father who lives far away and i've created a protagonist here who has Mm -hmm. a dead mother and a a father who has kind of exited the the picture in in a very different way um but uh i don't really know to what extent it's me um working through anything versus me just uh helplessly repeating the patterns of my own life in in my fiction. Yeah, uh, I wanted his uh, struggle for the house to be about. It had to be about something more than a financial nest egg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know that's the really perverse thing for us when we talk about homes in this city, because they are. Uh, you know, I I bring up. David Harvey in the acknowledgments. Uh, and I think that his writing on the contradictions of capitalism and, and the contradictions of, you know, you can say in the very abstract language of Marxism, you know, there are use values and exchange values, right? Which is, uh, you know, essentially a, a jargonistic way of saying there's, there's what stuff means to you and there's what you can sell it for. And there's, there's, nothing there's no like node in uh in most people's lives more on that seismic you know fault line between use value and exchange value than the place where they live yeah either you rent the place and it's the biggest line item of your monthly budget uh or it's a place that you own in which case it's by far the most expensive thing that you will ever buy. Sure, You'll yeah. be paying for it over the course of your whole life. Yeah, It's this thing that you are trained by society to think of as an asset or an investment. Yeah. Um, but it's where you fight with your partner and make up with them. It's where your kid takes their first steps. It's where you're you know grandmother's you know tells you stories of when she was a kid i mean they're so charged emotionally yeah like they're so run through with human that's why why you know it's incredible houses are one of the only things that look smaller when you take everything out of them like if you're moving Hmm. you look around your house and you go that's so small in here once Mm -hmm. all this stuff comes down which is which is totally um, counterintuitive, right? Exactly. It should look bigger the more you take out of it. Yeah. 
and um, you know, I, I I needed for Scott's desire to stay into his. Um, you know, some people have relayed the. Uh, oh, I can't remember actually. There, there was at one point they the, the 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 sort of promotional copy for the book said you know the lengths that someone will go to to um, get into the housing market in Vancouver, mm-hmm. and I said no, it it that's not what the book's about. The book is about the lengths that a character will go to to stay in his home. Right. Um, those are those are because that's transcends things. Vancouver. It trans it does transcend okay. Vancouver. I mean that that would be my hope. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know the the extent to which this is like, um, you know, more and more in North America, there are cities like Vancouver or Toronto, San Francisco, New York, like where, where you just, you cannot afford to stay. Yeah. And then there are these like hollowed out places that are just trying to survive. And, and uh, unfortunately, there's not a lot of like the sweet, spot in the middle yeah um you know you've got these small resource towns you know all through british columbia that are like you know uh i was in prince rupert um last week and you know that's a town that's smaller than it was is my understanding Mm -hmm. uh and i think that's true you know that's true of a lot of places um uh but that idea of home and that idea of home as being something that you can that you can lose yeah. is, uh, you know, it's not just about not having the money to retire. Uh, it's, it's also about your, your memories yeah, and identity it, and your identity. Yeah. yeah. And if you've had that wrenched away from you, that's very different from the natural and organic process of maybe growing out of it sure. on your own. Yeah. I just have to do a quick check-in. Uh, sure. Harrison, uh, can we still go for another 10 minutes? What's... Okay. You got 10 minutes, Charlie? Yeah, yeah. I uh, Let me extend my uh, parking. <laughs> and then I, um... I, I... I have to say, I'm loving this whole conversation i wish we i wish we we had all the time in the world i I just know that we are under certain time yeah i mean i've got a i've okay um can we actually say like just five Five? minutes because i because i've got to get to uh (laughs) i gotta pick up josephine at uh okay yeah yeah i won't keep you longer than that no yeah so she's um (laughs) And now this, this parking app is, I'm just trying to extend my parking. Sure. I I have a shitload of questions I'm going to cut out now, but I want to get to the, the bread and butter. Sure. Uh, you appeared in My Little Pony. How many bronies <laughs> are hitting you up at your comedy shows now? Uh, I I feel like luckily for me, although it's probably, probably bad for my, um, uh, like, career. Yeah. Uh, I really, like... And I don't know if it's because I'm not on social media, but I I felt none of the like oh. brony um, the brony effect. Okay. So I was only that's on, good. That's I was good on, thing, I was only probably. on well because you can get that like convention money, but that does feel like selling <laughs> your soul. Like like um, yeah, I mean, but you, do you want to be fetishized in that way? I I most certainly do not. <laughs> I, I I to be perfectly blunt, I I. Well, no, maybe I shouldn't say this. I I find it's, the brony thing odd. Yeah, well, it's one of those things where 
hey, if you're into that show and you like that, show, like I don't care. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. But I think it's the the sexual fetishizing of that because and not all bronies do that but there is that end of bronies is there my... like i didn't even know that part yeah I well i think there's weird. a lot more of those than the people who just like the show like there is kind of this weird subculture there right and i think that's where it gets weird because it's it's a kid's show <laughs> yeah yeah it's a um uh it, it's like the furries thing and you know it's, gotcha. it's sort of in that and how big it really is i don't it's one of those things where it's probably loud because it's on social media. Yeah, I feel like it's one of those things that there was. A, yeah, I, pe- people love nothing more than like a good weird story. Yeah, and I, and I, and I and I just feel like the Brony thing was one of those man bites dog stories where it's like, right? Hey, isn't this weird? And then the people who are getting looked at go. Hey, this is attention. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not saying that though. I, this is sacrilegious in terms of the Vancouver animation community because <laughs> so many people make really good livings off of that show. And sure. and it is a terrific show. Like my daughter watches it. I mean, she watches it as I think it's intended, yeah. which is a show for little girls. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, and you know, uh, gender open little boys yeah sure. and uh uh you know it's a really great it's a really great show it's funny it's it's beautifully animated and well acted yeah and uh i find yeah i i do i do find the um you know in the hollowed out world of of uh zombie capitalism like people are looking for <laughs> community anywhere anywhere they can find it yeah and it, but it is it's a strange like if you tell people you go to church, they think you're a weirdo. Sure. But tell them you go to a pony convention, <laughs> and uh, they won't, can't wait to congratulate you on your yeah. Uh, yeah. You're just into arts and culture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> does Does your daughter also watch Beat Bugs? Because you you voice a character on that show, and you're, you're yeah. a regular character. I think what, like a starring character, right? Yeah, it's yeah. a pretty big uh, it's a pretty big character. I mean, it's an ensemble show, but um, uh, and you know, there's some overlap. Ashley Ball, uh, who plays Applejack on, um, she's, she's in uh, Hey Ocean, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. And um, David Vertesian. Not her oh, okay, right yeah, on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Ashley's great, and she's incredibly talented, cool. and she's on a million different series, and um, she's Applejack on on My Little Pon- uh, on My Little Pony, but she's Jay oh, on okay. Beat Bugs, and uh, uh, yeah, Josephine does watch Beat Bugs now. Yeah, it's it's never been her like top rotation. Oh, really? You know, it was never in the like Paw Patrol zone. Uh, of, okay. Um, does she get that that's you, like the the voice of Walter? I mean, she does, but I don't even totally know what it would mean for her to get it. That it's like, because, I, I, I mean, it's funny. She she absolutely accepted it right mm-hmm. away. The first time she ever saw me on TV and I was holding her and I was like, look, daddy's on TV. She was probably like just shy of a year or a little over a year. And she really didn't like it. Whoa. Like she started crying. It was like, it was, it was really scary These for worlds her. worlds are that I was, Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, then when Walter happened, I said, I said, that's daddy. That's daddy's voice. Yeah. And she said, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> which I found very odd that she even, because at that age, do you even think of them as like drawn characters that yeah. someone's voicing? Like you just kind of think, what do you mean you're Walter's voice? Or like she, what does that even mean? She thinks you moonlight as a animated. Yeah, bug. yeah. Or I'm in ma- <laughs> I'm in makeup. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, she, you know, I think I think she likes it. Yeah. I, I mean, she's got a she's got a father who's a comedian, and mm. I think you know the the great thing about that is is it's super easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Like daddy goes on stage and he and he makes jokes. Yeah. She knows what the joke is. She knows what the stage is like. If you know, contrarily, if it's like mommy is a um a quantitative researcher at uh, the BC Center on Substance Use, like she's not gonna get excited about that. Yeah. Won't get it. So it's in some ways I feel like I'm cheating because I'm the parent who's got the like uh, who, who do you want to go to career day with? The stunt helicopter yeah. <laughs> fighter or the epidemiologist? Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, but she, yeah, she she watches she watches Beat Bugs cool. and uh, uh, you know we don't count that as screen time. Yeah. Fair enough. She can watch as much Beat Bugs <laughs> as, as she wants. Love it. Um, so between the voice acting, your novel, your Juno nominated comedy album. Your own podcast, the Well Reds, um, you've had a monster two years. Like it's pretty amazing when you look at it, uh, and you've done this without being on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, just really quickly, what, why? Because it seems like that would be such a great, or social media as a whole, yeah, would be such a great venue for you to promote yourself. Um, and I understand, you know, it's it's not really good for your health, but even in some sort of balance. You've just taken yourself off it. What, what's? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I would just. It, it's like, it's like I'd probably be thinner if I smoked. <laughs> like I, I just kind of feel like the, the where where it got to a place where I can say to myself, uh, not only is it probable that I am giving up career success mm-hmm. but it's like it's almost certain um right. that i'm sacrificing something in terms of my although what what it is that i'm giving up that's that's also totally slippery because people say like you know shouldn't you be on twitter you'd be able to and then it's like i'd be able to what like what what would i do would i sell books more or would i would like would people come to more shows like it's not totally clear to me and and that was that was something that like I had I had a couple of tweets go, you know, semi viral, mm-hmm. and then I realized, huh, that that's it, huh? Like that's what <laughs> happens. You just what, do you want a medal? Well, no, no, no. But I mean, I just I I just I I, I realized that I, I didn't even know what I wanted. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a really good point. Like I was yeah. writing these tweets, and every joke I would write, I would hope that it would get liked by a bajillion people and retweeted by a bajillion people and then and then the the two or three times that that happened mm-hmm. i was just like oh that was the that was what i was working for yeah. like nothing yeah. like it's like less than nothing i mean one one of them was about trump so i also was just in like panic and anxiety of like was I going to get attacked by the you know mega hordes? Right, right, right. Um, uh, and then another one was like a, a story about my wife and I at the grocery store, and uh, it got stolen by a bunch of people. And every few months, it would show up. Really? And, yeah, oh, it was just and and so it was just like uh, it's like oh, I I did the like the thing. Yeah. Like that's. You're writing a, a tweet so that it gets retweeted by a bunch of people and mm-hmm. liked by a bunch of people. 
and and there was absolutely zero payoff. Yeah. So here's the thing that takes up hours and hours of my day and makes me absolutely miserable. Yeah. Uh and 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 there's and there's no website. Yeah. And and the other thing, you know, that I finally, you know, sort of said to myself in terms of uh Facebook and Twitter um and and were they things that could help me if I were on them they might be able to but I I feel like if I acknowledge them as an evil which I think they are like I I I genuinely think they're they're they're, they're destructive in, in, in on a level that we don't even begin to understand mm-hmm. if I feel that way then I I don't want to profit from them. Yeah, and I just I, uh, I felt it got to a place, and I really don't say this from a position of holier than now or like I'm doing anything great or that anybody else is doing anything wrong. I felt for me like if here's the thing that I think is actively making the world a a much worse place. Yeah, then I shouldn't be a part of it even if it does pay out. And uh, I, it's, it's, it's the best decision. <laughs> I, it's worth, it's worth if, it's, if it's costing me $50,000 a year of work, mm-hmm. it's, it's a bargain at twice the price. Wow. Yeah. I, I respect it. I, I agree with you so much. I'm just not ready to, to pull the You know, block. I think a lot of people feel that way. I didn't tell myself I was quitting Facebook. I thought I was deactivating for a little while yeah. and just like uh I haven't reactivated once. Good and it's it's like it's one of those things where as soon as you get out of it, yeah. not only do you not miss it, it blows your mind that anyone does it. Yeah. And I knew that I I knew that there was something messed up when I was I was watching the wire i was rewatching the wire and they're in these like it's all the worst places like it, it's it's not only in the like hollowed out um um you know abandoned public housing buildings in baltimore but also the cops are working in the worst offices mm-hmm. they're sent to the worst places and i just was watching it and every scene i was like None of these guys know what Facebook is. <laughs> I'm so fucking envious. Yeah. They're, they have, every single one of these people is only in the room that they're in. Yeah. Which was such a, and then yeah. I, I realized like, that's all I wanted from vacations. Yeah. That's all I want. It was like a dream. Very liberating. And then I thought, well, I could just turn it off. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I try not to be evangelical about it because You're I know You're on the how, gram though, right? I am. Yeah. Okay. That Which one is so that and that, that seems like just, more a personal account. That's yeah. not you're not promoting shit. Or, no, I mean yeah. I'll, I'll promote the occasional thing, yeah. but like on Instagram, I just get to see pictures of uh, people's kids, yeah. people's vacations, yeah, yeah. or their lunch. Sort of what it was meant for yeah. originally. Plus size models in <laughs> jean shorts while you're having a fight with somebody on Facebook. I mean. I'm winning uh, three different ways from Sunday. I'm yeah, not, you are. Yeah, so I just yeah, I it it Instagram. Uh, they'll have to pry from my cold dead fingers. But fair enough. Facebook and Twitter, I I couldn't get far enough fast enough. So so to wrap up, uh, 
if people want to follow your career, find out where you're performing, what's going on with you, how, how do they do that? There's charliedemers.com, which is just the basic uh, vital statistics. Yeah. Um, and otherwise, it'll be like if I'm doing something, like if there's a show happening or I've got a book out, I mean, they'll, they'll I guess they'll hopefully hear about it that way yeah um but in terms of like sort of following the day-to-day mm-hmm. uh it's it's pretty you know it's pretty tough um if if you're on instagram i'm at at charlie demers uh, i think with an underscore uh between charlie and demers um but uh you know that's that's more or less the way they can follow me yeah love yeah. it um we went way over. I want to have you back at some point. Not, not soon, very much. but no, no. I'm going to go rest my uh, larynx. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, a real inspiration for all the things he does. Comedy, podcasting, writing both nonfiction and fiction, voice acting, political activism. He's a true renaissance man. The man, Charlie Demers. And I'm Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. <laughs>